Welcome to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it so you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Time is tight. That's why our advisors have wrapped up today's most timely topics into a podcast with actionable advice. Now, let's get down to business. Hey, Kim. Hey, Paul. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Good. Just got my uh, taxes filed. Good. I'm preparing for next year as companies are preparing for next year. Uh, this podcast is going to be really good. It's going to show them why they need to make some changes going forward. Uh, and we've got, we're happy to have some, two of our folks from our tax department here, William Dow, Katie Coates. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all. Thank you. Glad to be here. I think it's important to, um, to tell our listeners why they should care about this tax reform. And I know that a lot of people experienced the changes in their 2018 return, but many maybe overlooked some of those things, or I'm, I'm sure that as the season went on, you guys learned some things that maybe you didn't know in the very beginning. So maybe William help us understand, you know, what, why should uh, me as a business owner, why should I care about the tax reform bill? Well, to put it in perspective, this tax reform bill is the most sweeping tax change since 1986, when we had the Tax Reform Act of 1986. So if you look at the time period that's gone by, and, and people start to get kind of numb when there's a tax law change, because every year there is something that comes out. But this one is so sweeping that it impacts almost every taxpayer, whether you're an individual, a business, domestic or foreign. Sure. So, you know, we've had reductions in rates, and so... Really, if, if someone listening to this has not felt an impact or even thought about it, now's the time they need to make sure they do that. That's right. And there's time. So as we say this a lot to our clients, that as long as decisions are made before the end of the year, we can change a lot of things. But once you get past that, it's harder and may be more costly uh, to our clients and to the, the business owners if they're trying to make changes after the fact. So... So I'll just say, this is the, the 1986, that's that was my whole life. Um, I'd, so we've had one tax law my entire existence. I was actually born on tax day of that year. And so even in my professional practice, um, I've known one set of rules and regulations. So this has been, um, you know, it's totally impactful for all of our clients. And it's just, it's just, like you said, a sweeping change across our landscape. So, I, and people didn't have a chance to prepare really for this, this past year. And so what have we learned this past year to kind of going forward? What are the things that people need to focus on the high level? I think you're right in that we were sort of scrambling at the end of, of 2017, preparing for the 2018 tax year. You know, a lot of the meetings we went into, we had to sort of say, this is what we think is going to happen, but we don't really have a lot of answers. And, you know, still, even in some aspects, we are having to still give that answer because we, you know, we understand that uh, Congress passes a law and it's very, you know, complex, but then the IRS has to tell us how to implement that law. And so we're still waiting on guidance from the IRS on some sections, but the big ones, uh, the interest expense limitation, the qualified business income deduction, some of those we have a, a lot better handle on now um, at, towards the end of the 2019 year preparing for those taxes than we did. did. And were we right at the beginning of the year? For the most part, yes. Define, define right. Yeah. <laughs> Materially correct. Well, you know, Katie's exactly right. I mean, this this was such a sweeping tax change and so much, so many businesses were impacted in so many areas of the tax code from international to domestic that there was a lot of guidance that was needed. 
Um, and so the Treasury Department really spent the first year almost focusing on the international provisions of the law. And now we're just getting around, you know, mid-year this year to kind of giving some guidance on some of the domestic. And so we're still yeah. waiting on some final guidance. And so it's, it's um, there'll still be some cleanup. We're, we're still, we're, what really would help would be to have some, what they call technical corrections bill, mm-hmm. which comes out and fixes things. Mm-hmm. Because these, you know, the tax laws get passed fast. Um, there are some errors in it that are impacting some businesses, and that we really need technical corrections. And so, unfortunately, this has gotten caught in the political battle on Capitol Hill. Which those don't move quickly and get resolved quickly. So how are you advising clients when there is kind of an unknown? Or I know, Katie, you just said, you say, we think this is what's going to happen. But, I mean, are there options for them to correct things if if something does come out as a technical correction where they can go back and, and change it? Maybe they filed 18 early on and there was more clarification later in the year or or even after the end of the year things will get corrected so how do how do you handle that I I don't believe that for 18 that there's anything that we can do and I believe any technical corrections that would come forth would be would be proactive um, and not retroactive one that was really unfortunate uh, dealt with depreciable assets and qualified improvement property um, and and just a little omission of of the life of those assets that went from being able to make them 100% deductible in the year that the business owner purchased them to making them have to be spread out over 39 years. And so, wow, that's a big difference. We really thought that they were going to come out with a technical correction, but just like William said, it's gotten now caught up into a political thing where, you know, one side's like, we're, we're just not going to budge on this. And so it's just advising with the best information we have, and then just being really proactive in conversations with our clients. And I, w- I will say the the IRS has been has been very proactive, as proactive as they can be, in coming out with with um, limited guidance, almost like their what their general thoughts are. They'll, they'll issue what they call notices, kind of expressing how they think some of the provisions should be implemented. Uh, but until we get final regulations or law changes, um, sometimes our hands are tied. So I know we recently did a survey at Warren Averett to try to capture the challenges and and the issues that were faced during the 2018 tax season. What were the the key takeaways that we learned from that survey? So what we wanted to do was to try to identify from our client perspective, what was their top takeaways Um, that had a lot to do with uh, qualified business income deduction. Obviously that was the big ticket item, the big moneymaker in the tax law. And then there were the smaller things like the interest uh, expense limitation that we weren't maybe quite prepared for. A lot of people call that the sleeper portion of the tax law. And then um, we had hurricane relief, that that was a big one that impacted a lot of our people on the Gulf Coast um, in that year. And those were just a few of of the big ones that we saw um, our people saying our clients were impacted by this. This is what they saw the most. Yeah, exactly. And we also saw uh, a large increase in just the tax planning meetings, meeting with clients talking about the law and basically dovetailing that with their business. You know, you hear the old adage, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Well, this was, this was exactly where we ended up, able to sit down with clients, business owners, and talk about their business, what they're doing, and how this new tax law impacts it. Uh, like one big area is they did away with like-kind exchanges for, for non-real estate property. That's a huge impact to a lot of clients. Uh, a small example is, you know, you, a business trades in a car. Mm-hmm. That's now a taxable event rather than being just an exchange. Wow. But we also saw um, a large uh, increase in extensions, filing extensions for clients. You know, there, you know, there, there's 
this aura out there, this fear people think, if I file an extension, I'm going to get audited. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And really, uh, it, it benefited a lot of taxpayers because we're able to extend the returns and wait on some of this guidance that we got in midsummer um, and some as recently as a few weeks ago to be able to then actually you know, implement it into their tax filings. For some, that was the best advice we could give them. Let's just wait. Let's just wait just a little bit longer to make sure that we have the best information to prepare an accurate return rather than having to come back and amend or maybe pay taxes and, you know, more tax and penalty um, later on. Let's just, sometimes it's best just to hold the horses a little bit. So in comparing to prior years, were people paying more, paying less? Did you see anything across the board that kind of um, swayed that one way or the other? You know, generally we saw taxpayers paying less. Um, it could be in situations with some individuals with the standard deduction items like that. They maybe weren't able to itemize. Um, you know, you may have heard that there's been a lot, big uproar about this, what they call the SALT cap, the state and local tax deduction cap, which has been limited to $10,000. Well, the average taxpayer thinks that's pretty reasonable deduction, but these high-tax states like New York, California, that have extremely high tax rates, um, it really are up in arms, and, and really the, the governors of those states have filed suit against the Treasury Department about this law saying that it's, it's unconstitutional. Wow. So there could still be changes that even come um, on, the, on the tail of that that are directed at a state level that then move their way up. But, you know, the, the, one of the biggest changes we saw, um, again, there were many, but the corporate tax rate went from 35% to 21%. So that's a huge change. So just for a basic corporation you could see the uh, tremendous drop in their tax rate and a big impact to their financial statements. So you could see a big boost just to their, um, you know, you know, profit just for the year, just for the change. Another one that we saw really often that, that made big dollar impacts was changing an accounting method. So before the definition of a small business was $5 million or less, an average of three years gross receipts. Well, they jumped that way up to $25 million. I don't, that's, that's a pretty big business right. for most people. A lot of our clients, now it took some legwork. We had to fill some forms out and we had to do a little bit of, a little more on the front end to get them filed this year. I personally had a client that this saved him like $400,000 in wow. taxable income. And then just so a big fan of the tax reform. Big fan of the tax reform. Um, it's just, and it simplifies things. You can manage cash flow a little bit better at the end of the year and sort of really define what your taxable income is going to be based on your cash receipts and cash disbursements. And that was a huge one um, for a lot of our clients. And I would say that was probably true across the firm that we saw that being a sweeping change we made for a lot of clients. One of the more common questions we would get from clients is, I used to pay alternative minimum tax. I'm not paying it now. What happened? And for corporations, it was completely repealed, so it went away. For individuals, they raised some of the standard um, thresholds, et cetera, so most people saw that decrease. So you, you take a, you know, for individuals, the top rate dropped a little bit, plus, you know, maybe a limitation on the AMT, so they saw the tax rates going down on that as well. I know that there were a couple of clients that I work with that also revisited their inventory methods, and so, I mean, just from what I'm hearing from both of you is, there, there was an opportunity to have some more discussions on kind of broad subjects around the accounting method or even what entity you should be, whereas before this tax reform, no one would have ever advised to go back to being a C-Corp or, you know, a certain inventory method, but those types of things were being revisited for the first time in a really long time. I think if you asked a, a first or second year staff person what their most what the scariest calculation is that they might have to do, they're going to 
say Unicap, which is a capitalization of inventory that is required for businesses, again, that did, did not meet that small business exception. So in the same, under the same umbrella as the cash method that we're now allowed for $25 million gross receipts, got the same thing for inventory. So we got to do away with that alongside converting to cash for a lot of clients and a lot less nightmares for some first and second year staff on doing that calculation. Yeah, and then as you mentioned, you know, the conversion, whether you should be a C corporation, S corporation partnership, you know, that we used to be, you wanted to be a flow through. Right. And generally that's still the case, but with the corporate rates dropping from, again, as I said, from 35 to 21%, a lot of, a lot of businesses reevaluated that. And we looked at that for a lot of clients um, to see whether it made sense and kind of got found a general pattern that was there. And we found that if they're making a lot of distributions, uh, it generally made sense to say as a flow through. If they had a sale planned, it made sense to Says a flow through, but we did have a couple of couple of clients that actually converted to C corporations because of the rate change. So the IRS, in order to keep a mass influx of people converting from an S corp back to a C corp, created the qualified business income deduction, which, when you mathed it out, made the top rate down to twenty nine percent for individuals. So it gave this really good uh, it gave this really good deduction to those pass through owners again to incentivize or that's right de-incentivize from, <laughs> right. from going from having a bunch of people switch switch their interests. That's right because without that qualified in, uh, business income deduction you would have had a lot more uh, clients who would have said yeah let me switch to that 21% rate and we'll just figure out a different way to get our cash out of the entity. Yeah exactly and as Katie just mentioned that um, qualified business income deduction that 20% deduction just on the surface sounds great you know to you know flow through a business owner thinking 20% of my income it's going to be excluded. Well, this is one of the most complex areas of this new law, and you just can't say that carte blanche because mm. there's a lot of deep calculations. And, you know, kind of backing up, you know, if I were to say what were the three most complex areas that came out of this tax law, it was the international tax law changes, this qualif- this 20% qualified business income deduction, and some interest limitation deductions. So just this 20% deduction, which probably impacts, the you know, the broader base of our clients that we've seen, it's taken a lot of work, a lot of calculations to figure it out, and that's one of the areas that we're still waiting on some guidance. Mm. So trying to prepare for next year, you're just going to, hey, this is what we've done so far, and until more guidance comes out, we're just going to rock along with, with kind of what we've, what we've seen and what we've uh, gotten through on some of the tax Exactly. Clients. Yeah, I mean, the Treasury's issued two different sets of proposed regulations on this one topic, and these are, regulations are hundreds of pages long. So we have a lot more guidance than we did last year so mm-hmm. we're in a lot better shape but there's still a few unanswered questions but um generally we're in a position where we can give you know clients a pretty good idea of what the impact will be and i think uh, uh, again going back to why i would as a business owner want to hear about this and understand it is that if you don't have an advisor that has access to the latest information or you know if you as a as the cfo or as the ceo don't want to go home and read those hundred pages of documents oh come on i know everyone wants to read those (laughs) Mm, sure (laughs) but that's you know that's what our clients are relying on us is to stay on on you know the latest information that we're getting and we have the benefit of thousands of clients to be able to see well this is a situation in this in, in which this made sense or you know, we, we can compare and tell stories and we have the opportunity to learn best practices from that. Whereas if you're doing, trying to navigate this on your own, 
it's a lot to get through. Well, I think we're uniquely positioned here at our firm just that we have a well of knowledge that is so deep and so wide um, across all of our client service groups and then across our divisions. And, um, you know, we, we have people who are so smart um, and we have such resources that allow us to be a real good advisor for our clients. It just helps us. We, we can be armed um, to the T with information that allows us to help them make the best decisions to increase their tax position, you know, to increase the favoritism of their tax position um, that helps them with their year in business planning. And I wouldn't want to do this alone. It's, it's too complicated. No, exactly. I mean, we, we have teams set up that work like this, this small business deduction. We have teams that they focus on that, teams that focus on some other areas. So it's not where one person has to know everything. And that's where just the teamwork it comes, it becomes so um, beneficial. Um, for a second, I'd like to change, kind of switch gears for a quick second to individuals okay. on some things. You know, there were a lot of changes in that. We're not going to go into that detail because um, those are pretty clear laid out. Um, but, you know, one thing we saw this year, uh, you know, Treasury's been saying for years, we're going to come out with where you can file your tax return on a postcard. <laughs> and so this year they came out with what they call a postcard. It's still a nine and a half by 11, whatever, normal sheet of paper, and they just, you only use part of it. Um, so it's it, your, your 1040 really looks weird this year yes. when you go through it in a lot of schedules. And Iris just came out and said, this didn't work. So we're going to go back to the old way. So we had one <laughs> year of the postcard that's going away. Um, one of the other big areas we saw was in estate planning. Um, you know, the amount of money you can give away during life or at death without paying estate tax. You know, it was, you know, it was about five and a half million. They doubled it. Wow. And so a married couple would have, could have over $22 million dollars of a state and pay no estate tax. And so we've done a lot of work planning with clients, a lot of estate planning, probably more than we've, um, you know, we've probably done more in the last year than we did in the last five years, just by um, planning, a lot of transfer, especially a lot of closely held businesses. It was a perfect time to do some sophisticated transfer techniques to get those assets out of their estate and take advantage of this increased exclusion. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics? Head on over to warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. And again, going back to planning is that if, if these decisions are discussed and made prior to the end of the year, you can take advantage of these things. But a lot of this stuff, if you don't pay attention to it now, time is working against you, meaning it's a lot more difficult or in some cases, you're not allowed to make those changes once you get past the end of the year. If you're waiting till January to start thinking about what you want to do to save taxes for 2019, if you're waiting till January 2020, then we're not in a good position to be proactive. Um, we want to get together. I think we want to take a, you know, maybe a five-day break after the, the October filing deadline, maybe. Just let our brains relax. But then we want to dig in with our clients and go ahead and be really strategic the last couple months of the year and helping them to take advantage of all these savings that they can do. So once you dig in with those clients for next year, are there anything, is there anything that you're going to do a little bit different with them? Is there a conversation you're going to have with them that's just going to be a little bit different than maybe you've had in the past? For, for me, I deal with a lot of real estate clients, so we're going to talk a lot more about depreciation. We're going to talk a lot more about some of the repairs and maintenance regs that came out about nine years ago um, and how those impact us now in light of the snafu that was inside of the TCJA for the Qualified Improvement Property. We're just going to look at ways that we can best spend their money to capital improvements um, in order to save them the most dollars. 
Yeah, exactly. And really, I think, Paul, it really depends on the client and what industry they're in. Because, again, there's certain areas of the law that, that impact different areas. But um, as Katie mentioned, the depreciation, the inventory, that impacts you know a lot of clients there. And so you know, we'll, we'll be addressing that. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, like the, even this estate planning for privately owned businesses, you know, that'll be a much higher item probably up on the on the topics that we want to talk about. Where in the past it may have been one of the well, let's let's talk about you know tax items, your business, and then at the end, well, maybe some estate planning. Well, now that's a much more um, viable, much more important issue. So we're probably talking a lot more about that. That makes sense. Now I know one of the other big areas that impacted a lot of our clients was around the hurricane relief and. I'll just make a little plug here for one of our prior episodes. Paul and I traveled down to our Panama City office, and as you know, our Panama City office was impacted significantly from Hurricane Michael. And um, personally, our, our teammates were impacted, but also many of our clients were impacted. So if the listeners want to dig into the details more around the what the tax reform included in terms of hurricane relief, I'm going to plug episode six um, in our podcast series of season one where um, we interviewed two of our tax partners down in our Panama City office. So William we've talked a lot about federal law state federal tax law kind of any changes on the state levels for for those that are impacted? Yeah exactly that's a great question Paul because you know this is a federal tax law but a lot of states follow what the states what the federal does you know the kind of three tranches you know they, they either um, have kind of a what they call rolling conformity that whenever there's a federal law change they change or they have you know static which means that they adopted a certain date or nonconformity. Alabama is rolling which means that as the law changes then Alabama follows it but then they come in and they do a lot of what they call decoupling they'll find provisions that they don't want to implement and they'll decouple from it so we're seeing where you know you mentioned we we're talking earlier about planning we're out, we're spending a lot of t- more a lot of time planning on the state tax side for for multi-state clients because there are a lot of changes going on with that um, here in Alabama really this the tax act was beneficial to the state because Alabama is one of the few states that allow taxpayers to deduct their federal income tax so as we talked about if if a taxpayer if a business is paying less in federal income tax they're gonna pay more in Alabama income tax and so the state of Alabama is really is, is you know, projecting a pretty good revenue growth just from this from this tax law change so any state that kind of follows that same pattern would would see some sort of jump as well right and you know out there are only a handful that allow that federal deduction but um in that case you know definitely they're going to see a pickup the impact there for business owners would be that if you're you're thinking about taking a contract in a new state or or expanding your business across the state border you just need to be looking at how that state either follows or doesn't follow the federal tax law and what that might mean for your planning because Nexus becomes even a bigger deal at this point. Mm-hmm. Exactly, especially you know with, with you know you know e-commerce and all that. That's really kind of the coming thing because a lot of states' tax laws are written on what you call brick and mortar. You know, thinking have you had a you know a business there or whatever. And we what we've seen with our clients, you know, there've been more state audits, much more than we've seen on federal audits, and the states are getting very aggressive. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, William and Katie, you've given us a lot of really good information, and I think our listeners will take away a lot of this as they're planning for um, the year end of 2019. But um, here at The Wrap, we always ask our guests to wrap up this topic in 60 seconds or less. So what's what's the key takeaway that you want listeners to leave um, hearing? 
Well, I think we can all be certain to say that most people, their tax position is not going to get any less complicated. It's going to continue to get complicated, especially as we get revisions. We might have a change in Capitol Hill in the next couple of years. And so it's important to partner with somebody who has the time and the resources to invest in planning for you. You know, you know, Kay, that's a great point. Um, you know, the taxes, tax law is getting only more complex. And so there's a need there to have a, you know, an advisor that understands it and that can sit down with the business owner and understand what the business owner's goals are. And again, you know, earlier I used that phrase, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, but help the business um, basically dovetail their business goals with the tax law to get the best tax result they can with what their business goals are. Good information. That was great. Very Thank you all very much for, for being with us today. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to our podcast series, or make a suggestion for other topics to cover, visit us at warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap.